Up next is a daily devotional by Pastor Tim Dodson, pastor of Believer's Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Subscribe to our podcast by visiting burningdogradio.com and clicking on subscribe. Thanks for listening to Burning Dog Radio. In John chapter 15, where we left off last time we were together, we had just begun what is uh, effectively just the introduction to a very powerful and important chapter of the Word of God. This chapter, you see, contains a real foundation for Christian discipleship, thus effectively for Christian living. Perhaps with more clarity than any other passage in all of the Bible. Now, Jesus herein speaks of the branches. That's us, you see, because we are all branches. We are all to be connected to the vine, and that vine is Jesus Christ. He will also, as we go through this chapter, he will speak of branches that produce and branches that do not. John MacArthur says this. He says, now the question comes up in this passage and says the branches that bear fruit are obviously Christians. The branches that do not bear fruit become then the problem branches. Who are they, he says. Are the branches who do not bear fruit Christians or are they non-Christians? The problem then becomes the branches that do not bear fruit and are thrown into the fire and burned. Because if they're Christians, then what does that mean? That Christians can actually perish? Or does it mean that Christians are punished and chastised for a lack of fruit bearing? Does it mean you can lose your salvation if you don't bear fruit? Or does it mean God will punish you if you don't bear fruit? Now, going back in the review, if if the non-fruit bearing branches are the unsaved and they're burned because they didn't produce fruit, well then, aren't we in one way or another preaching a works-oriented salvation? So looking into this account before us, we first of all need to uh, check the setting. We need to um, look at who the players are in the story. So looking at the context of the passage, what do we see? Who is Jesus talking to? Where is he? What is happening? So bearing in mind the setting of the stage before us, it appears then that we can only see the participants in this chapter in one light. And that is as follows. One, the vine is Jesus. Two, the husbandman is God the Father. Three, the fruit-producing branches are the faithful disciples. And four, the branches that produce no fruit, the ones that were cut down and burned because of the lack of fruit, well, they were the likes of Judas and all the Judas turncoats who would follow. Those that, despite all outward appearances, quite factually, never truly belonged to God. In John 13, verse 10, Jesus shed some light on the understanding of this issue uh, that we're reading here in chapter 15. It says, Jesus said to him, someone who has bathed only needs to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. And that was, if you recall, Jesus speaking to Peter there in that upper room at the uh, that famous um, episode of Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. Again, someone who is bathed only needs to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. So in other words, once we have been saved, once we have been cleaned, 
if you will. We just need a little regular foot washing. You follow? Once you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have to get saved all over again every time you stumble into sin. Thank God. Now, you don't need another bath in that situation. You just need a little cleaning detail, if you will. I guess that's the continuing grace and forgiveness of God in action. But then he says, back in that verse 10 of chapter 13, he says at the very end, and you are clean. But when he says you, he's referring to his disciples. Then he qualifies it going on by saying, not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and he was therefore speaking of Judas. Now indeed, Judas was there with the real apostles for the whole trip. He looked the same. He talked the same. He appeared to be one of the gang, but he wasn't. The fruit of his life eventually told the whole story. Eventually, his reality became known, well, to all those around him, even to those he called brothers whom he would now, inexplicably, throw under the bus. My first-hand experience says that that would have been a very painful experience for the apostles uh, who were there that day. This idea of Judas's involvement in the context of the teaching before us, well, it seems pretty obvious to me. While there are a lot of words between chapters 13 and 15 for us who read it, Please understand there was probably only just minutes between where we are in the text here, chapter 15, and the physical departure of Judas, who was literally, again, in our time frame, no doubt out at that very moment, betraying Jesus. It's interesting, too, that Jesus didn't try to talk Judas out of what he was going to do. In fact... He said, whatever you are going to do, Judas, do it quickly. Now, why wouldn't he have tried to talk Judas out of this? Simply because Judas had hardened his heart, and Jesus simply confirmed it. Both groups of branches, quote-unquote, had been with Jesus. There was the producers, and there was the non-producers. They were both there. Judas had even been so trusted that he was given the position of club treasurer. He he wasn't a rookie, nor was he a newbie. He was a player. I mean, he had rolled with the best. But yet, when the harvest time came, Judas had no fruit. And because he had no fruit, he was cut off the vine with a clear picture of permanence. Now, once again, we can debate whether Judas was... You know, had lost his salvation or he never had it. We can, we can argue doctrinal points of whether the unproduct, unproductive branches were tossed into hell for eternity or whether some other metaphor was being used herein. But the language is graphic. The picture, stark and painful. In that, there is no debate. So why would we argue whether we can get away with the lack of good fruit production without major fallout. We, we obviously see that such a performance makes Jesus very unhappy, makes him very displeased, to say the least, and we can see clearly that the end of such an individual was terrible 
on any level. Certainly the man who hid his talent and produced nothing back in Matthew chapter 25 was called a wicked and slothful servant, quote unquote. Do you remember that? The instruction was given, quote, to throw the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, end quote. But gang, once again, unless we believe the scripture really means what it says and that Jesus really meant what he said, then all of this is, well, merely some sort of idealistic analogy for men to aspire to. Not not you know, a fact of the character and nature of the one we would call Lord. Because if you believe the latter, how can you then be sure that things like salvation and eternal life is therefore not just some you know, spiritual analogy. Why did Judas lose his salvation? Or did he? Did Judas lose his salvation because he didn't produce good fruit? Look, I got to tell you, to believe that would would be to negate John chapter 10, verse 28, which says, I give eternal life to them, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if that verse is true, then Judas didn't lose his salvation. And the word of God, frankly, is absolutely clear about this area of security. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All those whom the Father gives me will come to me. He who comes to me, I will in no way throw out. And so he cannot be talking about some you know, strange scenario here wherein a true believer stops bearing fruit, loses his salvation, and is condemned forever to hell. Rather, frankly, he is talking about what I would call a Judas branch. A branch that is apparently in the vine, but its position was never real. And because it wasn't, nothing was ever produced from his life. We want to look at it the other way around. Well, he's lost because he doesn't produce fruit. I say he doesn't produce fruit because he was lost. I realize that some folks, a lot of folks, are very uncomfortable with talk like this on this week and the last time we were together. And they'll even condemn these kind of discussions as being judgmental and negative and mean. Yet, again, if such a one was inclined to actually do a study themselves... They would find the book of John full of examples where Jesus contrasts the true and the false disciple. Thus, such condemnation, hey, it doesn't fall on me today, but upon Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and on Jesus Christ, our Savior. Rejection of these words is not a rejection of me as a pastor, nor on this church. The rejection is of Jesus and his written word. So before we jump into this verse 1, and it'll have to be tomorrow, but before we run into this verse 1, let's again establish what was Judas's end? How did that final chapter go down? And we look back in Acts uh, 1, 15 through 20, and it says this, kind of in uh, uh, remembering what occurred. In these days, Peter stood up in the middle of the disciples, and the number of the names was about 120. And he said, Brothers, it was necessary that this scripture should be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was guide to those who took Jesus. For he was counted with us and received his portion in this ministry. 
Now this man obtained a field with a reward for his wickedness, and falling headlong, his body burst open, and all his intentions, intestines gushed out. It became known to everyone who lived in Jerusalem that their language, in their language, that the field was called Akladama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be made desolate. Let no one dwell in it, and let another take his office. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. To learn more about Tim Dodson or Believer's Church, visit jfbelievers.com.